0: Sasswhat is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit sasswhat.com. Yeah, I haven't done this in quite a while. When was the last time Oh, it was Bur Oak. That was the last uh yeah. That was the last Saswet that I remember recording. Might have done something else. Right. No, that's it. Um this is what a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal Mark Matski. Greetings from Southeast
1: Ohio, where Bigfoot is homecoming king. <laughs> No
0: it happened really. Are you Trust serious? Me. Okay. Cuz that is something I could legit see happening as like a dude showing up to a prom or I guess the homecoming <laughs> the homecoming <laughs> in a Bigfoot outfit and winning, you know, some sort of prize for I'm that. I'm shocked it hasn't happened taking out yet. the homecoming queen. <laughs> uh, so uh and we're joined tonight by uh my other pal Brandon Dalo. Hello. Hello. And Brandon's been on the show a couple times, and he is back tonight. And uh, there's a very specific reason this episode of Saswa is going to focus yet again on Beast of Whitehall, which is the new production from Small Town Monsters, which is the um, film series slash film production company that um, I started and then uh, brought Brandon in sometime last fall to do the music on Minerva Monster, um, but Whitehall. If you listen to the last episode of Sasquatch, then you already probably know a little bit about Beast of Whitehall and what it centers around, which is uh, it centers around the A Bear Road Bigfoot sighting incident from 1976, and uh, it's a it's a really cool case, and it's one that I didn't have a ton of knowledge of until we started working on this movie, and I think it's the same for Brandon. Um, but when I got into really kind of researching it, I thought it was definitely something we needed to do. Before we get to that, I, I do apologize to Sasawet listeners. I went on vacation, and before I went on vacation, I was supposed to record two episodes with Matske, uh to keep people tied, tied over until I got back. And I completely forgot, because um, we had a crazy week before I left. We completely forgot Got down to Florida, and I was like, "Hey, Mark, let's just—I'll call in. We'll do like a Skype thing," <laughs> and then we just never did it. So no. Disney World was be- beckoning me, so I couldn't—I couldn't be bothered because um, I was. You look, you, know, you look like you had a really good time
1: when you were down there.
0: Oh yeah, we like, had a blast. Yeah, yeah. We we, could, we we'll get into that stuff uh, in the next episode. We're going to record two episodes tonight. And the next episode is going to be a catch-up episode, so we're going to go through like reader letters and stuff we've gotten a lot of that in the last few weeks um, in our absence. So, but again, the the absence of Saswat episodes is not Mark's fault; it's my fault. I was visiting with my good friend Mickey. So, um, but tonight, yeah, we want to talk about Whitehall, Beast of Whitehall, the making of the movie, and um, Mark's going to ask some questions here and there, but. Uh, pretty much this is just a regular episode of Sasquatch and we just kind of wanted to bring you guys in and give you a peek behind the scenes at the making of the movie. So um, so just to kind of rehash for people what the, uh, the movie is going to be about. In 1976, there was this sighting incident in on... Uh, Abear Road right outside of the town of Whitehall, which is in the Adirondacks in New York, which I knew nothing about um, before we went there. And I think we talked a little bit about this with Paul Bartholomew, but the Adirondacks are freaking huge, like insanely huge. When they, they do this ad there, like a commercial on TV, where they actually take like five Of the national parks and stick them inside of the Adirondacks on a map I mean it's that big it's Mm. it's just enormous and when you're in there the crazy thing to me is I've never been somewhere that kind of isolated like you're no the deeper into the Adirondacks you go the less chance you have of of contacting human civilization through like a cell phone Um, you pretty much are relying solely on smoke signals So when I went the first time back in July, we were in Wells, which is deep in the Adirondacks. And it's crazy um, how little is out there. You have to drive, you know, like over an hour just to find a grocery store and stuff like that. Um, But I I guess I just didn't know that. I thought the Adirondacks was like a place where like retirees go (laughs) to vacation for a couple of weeks. And instead, it's it's insane how kind of, you know. Densely wooded, it is. I don't know. Did you know much about the Adirondacks, either of you?
2: I didn't know much about them at all. No, yeah. I didn't even. You know, it's what's terrible. Me being in this kind of stuff, I didn't even know like Champlain was right, going to be right where we were camping at. You know, like I obviously knew that it was in Vermont and things like that, but I had no idea it was going to be centered right around in that same area.
0: Well, I have a confession to make. I didn't. I sh- I shot a movie there. The the movie, um, <laughs> it back Correct. in July. And had no idea it was there. And it's literally right there. I mean, we were standing we were standing for hours and hours on the Champlain Canal and I'm just like, Ho hum, this is this is cool. Had had no clue, like that is Lake Champlain Canal, right through right. the center of Whitehall. So yeah, I'm the same as you. I had no idea. But Mark it's, it's pretty amazing. Sorry. Yeah, Mark, had you had much any experience ever going to the Adirondacks or anything? No, no. Um, And just the description
1: of how vast it is is Mm -hmm. just really stunning. And you got that crazy sort of contrast between New York City Mm -hmm. and the Adirondacks, which is just the total opposite. Um, It just defies sort of your expectations because, like, you know, upstate New York, it's just like you said, you you think of that as a place where people have summer homes and stuff, not Mm -hmm. just the wild
0: well they call it like the lake region, isn't that? I think that's that's kind of like the the famous thing up there is like these lake towns where people go and they vacation and they you know there's these big lodges and stuff, but I haven't seen any of that. In all in all my time, you know, which not it's obviously not a ton of time in the Adirondacks, but it's two trips within the space of 2 months or whatever, you know. I I have not gotten to see that side of the Adirondacks, but I will say this is like when people refer to Whitehall is the Bigfoot capital of the East Coast. Um, it really does kind of remind me of that kind of, the culturally, they definitely are aware of Bigfoot. But the, the, the weirdest thing to me is like how kind of it still is a touchy subject in New York, which is, I guess it's something I didn't expect. It's just very different from how Ohio has kind of embraced its Bigfoot lore. New York, at least that area of New York, has not, from what I experienced anyway. I did not kind of see people responding positively to, or even kind of embracing the fun kitschiness of like Bigfoot. But Whitehall kind of seems like they're starting to come around to it, but it's not there yet. Does that play a part in
1: the story that that you guys end up telling? It's, sort of that that
0: you know hesitancy to come out with the stories. I th- I think. I think so. I mean, Brandon can talk just about when we were doing interviews, kind of how people are. But I will say compared to Minerva where uh, you kind of put the feelers out and you're like, hey, we're making this movie about, uh, you know, the Whitehall Bigfoot. Um, Well, in Minerva's case, it was, hey, we're making this movie about the Minerva monster. And suddenly you have all these people kind of calling you to tell you. I had multiple people call me when we were in New York to tell me they had seen a Bigfoot around Whitehall. And I'm talking three or four people. Mm-hmm. um but they refuse like flat out refuse to um come on camera to talk about it because of the ridicule factor and then i don't i don't think you would have a problem with me telling this but um i spoke to Dan Gordon's son Dan Gordon being the police officer who famously you know was highly connected to the Whitehall Bigfoot um not just the A-bear case but he had his own sighting in like 82 his his story is really cool because he Saw this creature, you know, while he was on patrol. It's highlighted in the Monster Quest episode about Whitehall. So if you haven't seen that, watch that episode because he was alive at the time and he's actually on camera. Um, But his son told me something I guess either I just never realized or hadn't paid much attention to is that like Dan's story, he'd had this sighting 20 some years before he ever came out with it. And when he came out with it, it was when he was on his deathbed. Like he thought he was on his deathbed, they told him he was going to die he's on his deathbed, so he has this like deathbed confession about how he saw a bigfoot and then he doesn't die uh, so he became you know kind of the, the the spokesperson in a lot of ways for the for that for the sightings in the area um so I do think the ridicule factor is going to play a pretty pretty prominent role towards the end of the movie, especially with uh like Brian Gosselin's side of the side of the story. I mean, Brian was a police uh, on the police force at the time and had a sighting. A lot of the people that were there in on Hebert, um are gone. Either you know they passed away because this was a while ago, and some of them were getting up there even back then, or they don't talk about it because of the ridicule factor. But I was, I was surprised at how that is still very much alive in New York, and at least in that area of New York today. I don't know. Brandon, you can talk to that a little bit.
2: Yeah, like you said, we, we actually – somebody gave us some contact information for a woman, for example, who owns a store down there in, in downtown Whitehall. And we went to go try to ask her about her sighting. And like you said, she was willing, completely willing to tell us about it. But as soon as you asked her to come on camera, she was like, "Absolutely not." Mm-hmm. You know, it's as if she didn't want any her likeness or any kind her name or anything to be attached to any of it. And you know, like, you can only kind of suppose that she's doesn't want that because uh, of the ridicule factor, like you said. It's it does seem, though, from talking to Paul Bartholomew and some others, it does seem like the the overall attitude towards it has totally shifted over time it, towards a more positive kind of accepting. Right. Ability. It's just
0: it seems to be a lot. I guess it. it, it he's right. Like it has shifted, and that's what Paul. We had a whole conversation after we shut off the cameras, and we're just kind of hanging out with Paul Bartholomew about that. And he was kind of telling us, you know, that he does think that, like Brandon said, it has shifted, but it just seems like it shifted much slower than it has here. Like I think of Ohio, and you know, they're hosting Bigfoot weekends at West Branch State Park and Lorraine, you know, County, and and all that stuff, and. I can't see that taking place in New York, just from even like what Paul talked about on the last episode, where he told us about how this what was it, the CDC or something, not Center for Disease Control. That would be that'd be pretty, that'd be pretty crazy though. Yeah, they're uh, they, completely involved. Yeah, they they want nothing to do with Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, a factor there. That and, and it took me by surprise. I had a phone call. One of the phone calls I had was from. A hunter who had seen uh, uh, some upright walking, air of creature, run off into a woods while he was hunting, uh, two miles outside of Whitehall. and he called me to tell me his story. And I was like, "Great!" I was like, "Can I? You know, I'd love to get you on camera." And he's like, "No, I don't. I don't want to come on camera. I just wanted to call and tell you my story." Wow. I was like, "Okay." That was hmm. par for the course when we were there. We had just constant, you know, people yeah. telling us they'd had a sighting or they knew someone who had a sighting, and that person does not want to speak about it. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, the, the, basically the way this whole process worked for us was, um, we, we had originally decided to go the Whitehall route back in May. Um, and there were a couple factors there for why we decided to do that, but we, what, what happened is the day that Minerva Monster premiered at the Ohio Bigfoot Conference, um, we found out that, um, Brian's brother Paul Gosselin had passed away so Paul would have been like your primary one of your primary witnesses he was in the pickup truck with the teenagers that first saw the creature so we found out he had passed away the the same day Minerva Monster premiered and that kind of set the tone in a lot of ways for for the movie for me because it was a uh, uphill battle to not only find you know people still living that had some involvement with the Hebert case, but it was like, I mean, like we were just talking about, even people who are still living don't want anything to do with it. There were a lot of people involved that night. We're talking like 11 people out on Hebert Road seeing this thing, and as far as like direct eyewitnesses in our movie that we could get on camera, we have Brian Gosselin, who is the police, you know, on the police force at the time, police sergeant, whatever he was. Um, We had... We have a possible other uh, lead as well, and we've already shot an interview there but I don't know yet how that's going to go I had to corroborate some stuff with that but it's a it's a difficult story because so many people were anonymous and then you've got you know the passage of time and people passing away and I will say all the teenagers that were out there other than Paul are still around but none of them want to be interviewed hmm. I've called uh and facebook messaged and emailed and everything else wow. no luck so far Just not no part of it huh yeah nothing to do with it so it's almost like, oh, like a race
1: against time to preserve the story you know well, sort of it's the story it's, behind the story is
0: it's funny you'd say that because like in the, the I, i'm not going to use it now but i had written some temp narration for the movie um when we'd been there back in july and actually cut like this little intro to the movie um and, I mean, there still might be some reference to the Race Against Time, but that line was directly in the narration I wrote, because it really felt like that. I mean, you were trying to – and we ran into that when we were working on Minerva Monster, too, in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, and it's, I guess it's how it's going to be with any of these stories where we're going back to the 70s. As you're, you know, It's like the Flatwoods case. I'd love to do something on the Flatwoods Monster, but – it took place what in the fifties or forties even, and and a lot of those people were older. Well, two of the people were older then, and then the rest are kids. But you got to think those kids are all in their, you know, seventies now. Hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, you know, even Brian Goslin, he he told us that this was his last interview that he was gonna do about this. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's I think it's partly because, well, it's it's majorly because of I mean, he he told us it's majorly because of how he's been misrepresented in the media, TV, and um. They've they always over you know dramatized everything and, and made him look silly and and changed details of the story to make them all, you know more dramatic and things like that. So he's just been super frustrated with the whole thing, um, obviously as you can tell. And so again, not only is it a race against time for people that have passed away, but then you also have main witnesses that aren't going to tell a story anymore. They're kind of done with it, you know. So we had to. It's our kind of way of getting in there and getting that captured, you know, before they're done with it. <laughs>
0: What we've, what we've run into that's pretty cool is we've got um, Paul Bartholomew really helped out. And then <laughs> I can't even express uh, the gratitude I have for Bill Brand because Bill Brand brought us uh, something that's pretty amazing. I don't know if I should even talk about what that is, but we, we have a way we're able to bring some of those people that did pass away into the movie that isn't like an Ouija board. Um, <laughs> um, oh, that's good <laughs> Yeah, or a seance uh, no there's it's just Bill's got so much material that he collected because Bill was Bill Brand um, was at the A-Bear area the day after all this took place back in 76 interviewing people and it's, you know we have some of the material that he collected that night or that day. And then some of the material he collected after. So we're able to give those. He actually said the words, and I think I have this on film. He he, he said the words, um, we're able to give these people a voice again. So, you know, like these people that have passed away um, because he gave me a tape and on the tape, other than Brian, um, these people are all gone. So, I did just say it's tape, but that's fine. Yeah, It's cassette audio tape. So we have audio sure. from these people that have passed away. So that's definitely going to be used in the movie. Um, and I, I made this braggadocious claim at, at the Burrow conference that I want this to be the definitive documentary about the uh, Whitehall case. But I don't think it's that difficult. Uh, the Monster Quest episode is cool, and it does a decent job of laying out the the a bear incident but it doesn't spend a ton of time on the a bear incident and you know they get off into running around and looking for bigfoot eventually too whereas i want to see this story kind of told um and laid out for people in a way that they can understand because i mean brandon can speak to this we had a difficult time even when we were there placing how many people were there Um, who all, you know, how many people actually had a sighting on the first night. There is a second night that's involved where there were even more people. There's law enforcement. There's teenagers in cars. There's possible pedestrians up the road. Um, That was a real struggle, and it's something we're still going to struggle with as we're editing the movie and trying to figure out how to lay it out for everyone in a way that's, like, succinct and explains, these people saw this. This is the order in which they saw it.
2: Yeah, I mean... (laughs) Seth, we would be driving somewhere in town and we're just talking about the story and what we're doing. And you'd say something and I'd be like, wait, what? You know, it'd be totally different. You know, you'd say something about, you know, this, this person saw it up the street in this field up here. And I'm like, wait, I've never, you know, and then Brian would say something about this happened in a particular time. and, And yeah, you're right. It was, it's very confusing. You know, it seemed like a lot of different details have been not change, It doesn't seem like there's a hoax going on or anything like that. Some kind of mass hoax or something. It doesn't seem like that at all. But it just seems obviously it's been a really long time. It's yeah, you know, like people have kind of forgotten some things, or maybe it's just in a different um, time period. Like maybe you know they're they're thinking that two events that happened over the course of two nights, they're, they're as they're explaining it, it's like as if it happened in one night. Then you speak to someone else and it's like oh okay, this happened. This part of it happened this night. You know, so it's it's kind of just us trying to piece together the puzzle of everything.
0: Yeah, and we—it's two nights, a two-night event with like eleven people involved, many of them who have never spoken about it. So they're, you know, as Brian's recounting things that the the state trooper told him, he's trying to go off of memory from, you know, something that was told to him decades ago, uh, and we're trying to piece together how everything happened. In a lot of ways, I felt like this was almost like. I don't know how it will, you know, come across on on screen, but in a lot of ways I felt like it was almost like a police procedural. Like we're trying to lay out for for folks exactly how this all went down. I mean, obviously there's a really good story here too beyond that where the town, you know, hasn't quite embraced the story or didn't quite embrace the story at the time and it's just now starting to. Um, And then there's other aspects of the story like stuff that – that Paul Bartholomew you talked about on last on the last I almost said last week so that was not last week on the last episode of Saswat where he talked about like the UFO flap and all that stuff and I had no clue that stuff went on but Paul's like uh, he, he the man is like a an encyclopedia like he remembers the first time I spoke to Paul on the phone he went on a two minute um, where he, two minutes of just reciting this news broadcast that ran on TV. Hmm. Uh, a few days after the seventy-six sightings, word for word, like the guy's the guy's been unbelievable in in recounting that stuff, and it was the same way with Bill Brand. Bill was, Bill's kind of like in this movie. Bill is if we were going with like a Minerva Monster analogy, Bill would be close to like our James Shannon because he was at the scene the day after. He didn't have any direct involvement in seeing it, but he spoke to everyone who did. He has all the you know, information. And then he's got a, the great thing is he's got all this, the, the real plus to beast of Whitehall over Minerva monster. What we, we definitely have a leg up on Minerva monster. And then we have all this historical stuff. We have news broadcast taped interviews. We have historical photos that bill took within, you know, hours of the sightings. We've got photos of, you know, Brian and the kids, how they looked when they were in school and all that stuff. It's, it's really cool how much we've been able to collect. And, uh, Paul's still tirelessly working on giving me other stuff that he's looking for and he just sent me a DVD today full of like news broadcasts that have been done over the years on the Whitehall incident. So How did you get hooked up with Paul in the first place? Well, Paul is let me see. The first time Paul actually contacted me I think through Facebook. Um and said, you know, if, if you need anything while you're here, let me know. And or, and the, the main reason we contacted Paul initially was we needed a someone that's very knowledgeable about kind of the local history. And another thing we wanted to set this apart from Minerva is we don't just want kind of, you know, the dry kind of like this is the history of the talent stuff. We kind of wanted history that would tie into this story as well. So he is good at that. I'm calling it dry. I don't think it's dry. But like he is kind of good at that dry history, you know, the town was founded by this guy blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But he also knows, you know, within with right around the same time this was going on, there was this uh, this crazy UFO flap. There was this area there called the Bennington Triangle that apparently he's very knowledgeable of and he's been trying to educate me on that, which I I'm completely clueless, but he's going to talk about that in the movie and he talks a little bit about um, you know, the the history, the Native American lore that possibly relates to these creatures that goes back, you know, centuries. So he's that was kind of my my first interaction with him was just kind of this, you know, we met up with him when I was there back in July. We shot uh, a little bit driving around with him and having him tell us about the history of the town. But then when when Brandon and I went out there, it was like a completely different interaction for me because it was it was kind of way more laid back. It was just Brandon and I, and then my dad, and we were just kind of talking to him about, and this was after, you know, obviously we shot his interview, but we were just kind of talking to him about the town and everything. And then I don't know if you picked up on this Mark, but like Paul's a huge nerd, like giant nerd, just, Mm -hmm. just like in the same ballpark as us, like just giant geek. When, when he came, over to shoot his interview with us, he had just gotten back from like a Star Trek convention. Oh, okay, so yeah, so he's kind of that. Yeah, I he's kind of like our completely. people. Yes. No uh, so 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 that's kind of and then obviously down at Baroque, I had a blast with him. Mm-hmm. Hung out with him pretty much all day, on and off. So um, that's kind of the story there. the The story behind Bill Brand is cool because it directly relates to Saswat in that uh, Bill was actually I can tie this into another part of this Um, I was given Bill's phone number by uh, Dave Gibson um, who is going to be in the movie Um, Dave Gibson was a Sasquatch listener and he listened to some episode that we did and we must have talked about Whitehall and he he's like hey you should talk to this guy i gave bill a call just on the off chance that he might be able to put me in touch with some sighting witnesses from the area and it turned out like i had no idea bill's connection to the a bear case when i called him mm-hmm. i was just like hey man do you know anyone have seen a bigfoot and then he's like oh yeah and you know i've been at a bear the day after it happened and recorded interviews with everyone i was like holy so lucked out on that mm-hmm. one so uh Let's. Do you have any questions, Mark? You want to throw our way while we're while we're doing this?
1: Yeah, I think just for the sake of the the listeners who may not have sort of a, a idea of the basic sighting. Mm-hmm. Can you run through that really quick? Just you know what what did people? What's the nature of this sighting? Because yeah. it's it's so interesting that people have this reaction of not wanting to talk about it. I mean, obviously
0: something happened there. Yeah. Brandon, do you want to tell it or you want me to tell it?
2: Um, why don't you start and I can probably finish.
0: Yeah, okay. So we'll, we'll try to leave some, not leave stuff out, but tell it in, in as quick a way as possible. But essentially it boils down to there were three kids uh, late at night on this dirt road in the middle of nowhere in Whitehall. Um, they were driving down the road in a pickup truck. They saw, uh, this, is, this is not, Exactly true, because like I said, there's so much to this beyond just three kids in a pickup truck. But these three kids in a pickup truck, they see uh, essentially what is a big, you know, a Bigfoot. It's a hair-covered creature. I don't know that they were referring to it as Bigfoot back then. I think Brian might have told us no, Um, but they see a Bigfoot. They roar into town. They tell the their the uh, one kid's father. uh, The one kid's father happened to be the police chief police chief and the kids and a couple other cops go back out and they all see this thing as well. Uh, The next day, uh, Brian, who is in the movie, uh, Brian Gosselin, who is the brother of one of the teenagers and the son of the police chief, um, is sitting in town. I think he was running a speed trap, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right, Brandon? I didn't hear anything about that. Okay, I think he was running a speed trap at the time and a state trooper comes uh comes in and gets him and tells him you know there's you got to come out and see this monster or something like that and basically they go out to Abar and they see the thing as well um but like i said that that is as abrupt and um unromantic as that story is mm-hmm. it's it's much more wild uh and chaotic there's a lot more people involved there's all kinds of people seeing this thing. We've got multiple trips back and forth from the teenagers alone. Um, And then we have this other interview that we did, which adds yet another layer to the story, if it's true. So um, it is a very convoluted story, considering the fact that it is also very small. Like, this is something that... We kept talking about Minerva because Minerva Monster is this ongoing incident that took place over the course of years with this one family, you know, the the A-Bear incident is only two nights, really, the A-Bear incident is two nights, but it's got so many people involved and there's so many trips back and forth, <laughs> that's what's difficult, like Brandon can can talk about this too, but like there was literally a point where like we were trying to figure out which direction the cars were coming and going on this road because they were coming back and forth so much.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like you said, it was, that was a super brief summary of everything. And there's, there's so many details about it that, that are extremely interesting. You know, that was the thing whenever I remember Seth, you first um, mentioned the case to me, I was like, well, it doesn't seem like there's much there. You know, it's just, they, you know, some people see it real quick. But there's a, once we finally went out there and we start really learning about the case, there's a lot of really interesting details, you know, and, and you you know, you said it was two days, but remember it was the, there was the third incident in that week where somebody on the, this road that was adjacent to the road also saw this thing and shot at it with a 12 gauge, I think, and a rifle. Right. Paul talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So we had the, you actually have like a week worth of um, sightings of this thing in this general area. And then after that, it kind of took off, but. But yeah, there's so many details with it that you didn't mention that were just that are gonna be really cool for people to see in the film.
0: Yeah, that's what, it's a story that I don't think a lot of people know, and it's funny because it has been documented uh, on Monster Quest and on the Discovery Channel. It's been mentioned in a lot of different documentaries, but I don't think the story has ever been told. <laughs> In a lot of ways, I really don't. I don't think it's been told start to finish, and I don't think it's been explained who saw what, where, when, you know, kind of stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. And Mark, to to answer your question about you know what kind of makes the this story kind of significant or, or what you know, um, it I think what makes this this particular sighting really interesting is because of how creepy it is and how aggressive the creature was. Um, you know, it's a little bit different than Narva in that way. It's it was. All of the, the things that happened with this creature were were very aggressive. So Seth and I were kind of even trying to theorize, like, why was it being so aggressive? Did it have young in the woodline? You know, you never know why it wanted to stick in this area. But it was, I mean, you know, they hearing these huge vocalizations coming from the, the field. They said it trumpeted, you know, and things like that, um, coming at the truck, um, coming at Brian Gosson's car, um, in an aggressive manner, all that kind of stuff. It makes it, you know, and, and Seth, you and I went out at nighttime down in the road It's super rural. There's no street lights. You can't see somebody standing 10 feet from you. Very, super creepy area, and, you know, um, and you just put all that together. This The story itself is very creepy and it's very kind of, it's hard to put yourself in their shoes. I, I wouldn't want to do that, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. When we, when we were there at night, there's, there's actually way more houses around now than there were, there were back then there's actually one, maybe a few hundred yards from where we were, with a giant like light outside and that wouldn't have been there back in 76. And even with that house there with the light, it is probably other than when I went to Israel, um, I've never been in a place where you could see the night sky where there was so little noise pollution and then just no noise. Like, I mean, actually the night we were there with Brandon, there was a lot of nighttime noise, but when I was there back in July, it was eerily quiet. Um, but it is, it is definitely a, a really unique place, and I am. I kept telling Brandon and my dad when I was there. I I have a weird attachment to that place. I love that road. I can, I I. It's it's one of the places. Like when I went to Jerusalem, I kept thinking about it for months afterward. It's the same way with A Bear Road. <laughs> like I want to just go back there and hang out. Hmm. Uh, I th- I think about it all the time. I don't know if it's the history, you know, or or my love of stories, or what it is that. that that place is—I I just have a weird attachment to that place.
2: It just looks different, you know. It's—it's—it's it's, it's very creepy being there. Even I mean, even during the day, it's a little weird, you know. It's just mm-hmm. like a—it's just a very interesting spot. Yeah.
1: You know, now, people who know about Whitehall at, in the Bigfoot sightings at all probably know about the Cliff Sparks uh, golf course sighting. Do you guys get into
0: that in the uh, uh, in the movie? We thanks to. Um, Thanks to Paul, we will hopefully be able to get into that with an interview with Cliff, who's now passed away. So, like I said, there's this is very different from Minerva in that we have all this historical footage and audio you know, interviews that we're going to be able to draw on to piece together this story. Because Cliff Sparks' story is bizarre. I mean, I'd heard it, but I'd never heard the weird, like laser beam shooting out of the creature's eyes kind of side to that story. So, um, yeah, thanks to, thanks to Paul. That is something that's going to be hopefully, you know, fit into the movie and I've got some footage of the golf course in the green where he actually saw it. Um, so I'm excited to be able to put all that in there too. It's, I mean, there's the thing is there are tons of stories that take place down there and, you know, obviously, we we spoke to tons of people that saw something or know someone who saw something. It's just so many of those people have passed away or don't want to talk about it on camera. But things like historical and archival footage are going to play a huge role in this, which is very different, very very different from Minerva, which is a you know a story that just wasn't very well documented. This is different. Um, I should mention, because we're running low on time here, I should mention at 8 p.m. tonight, the trailer will be live for Beast of Whitehall. It'll be live at the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash smalltownmonsters. So if you want to see the teaser, you know, we're bringing a whole new kind of <clears throat> everything we learned on Minerva Monster filmmaking wise, we're going to employ on Beast of Whitehall, and hopefully with with each project, they'll they'll get better and better. Um, just to speak really quickly about like the release, uh, that we've been asked already when exactly it's going to be released. All I can say is sometime in twenty sixteen. Uh, I am thinking, you know, maybe like first second quarter twenty sixteen. I don't think it's going to be too too far into twenty sixteen, but it'll be coming out. Not maybe around the same time Minerva did. I am not sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. We're we're working on a few different things. I sh- we have this tied into our next film, and I wish I could say something about the next film, but I can't. But look for some sort of announcement from us on what the next film actually is in October. Um, but this is going to be a much shorter movie than Minerva was. I think at least it was. It was originally shot to be a short. I don't think it's going to be as short as we originally intended, but um, I do think it's going to be a short. And and part of the reason it was shot to be a short, which is difficult to say, <laughs> is that we want it to tie in so heavily to the next movie. And I'm not talking about like tie into it, like they're, they're kindred spirits, but um, we want it to tie in through probably the Kickstarter campaign will somehow factor into it for the next movie. There will not be a Kickstarter campaign directly for, for Beast of Whitehall, the release is going to be different. I do think it'll be on DVD eventually, probably sometime next summer, if I'm guessing. Um, this is going to be heavy on, like, VOD and that kind of thing. But look for the official announcement on the release date and on what our next movie is in October um, and sometime late October, mid October, actually know the exact day we're making the announcement, but I'm playing coy with that. Um, So we'll, we'll have all that info for people then. But um, as far as, as far as like what the release release exactly is going to be, I just don't know yet. So stay tuned for those of you who care and Brandon music. We can't cut out of here before we talk a little bit about music. So like Brandon if you're if you're unfamiliar Brandon is the producer obviously on uh, all Small Town Monsters projects for the foreseeable future so our next two and he's also the composer of the score for Minerva Monster and he's composing the score for Beast of Whitehall. What are you thinking music-wise? I'm putting you on the spot cuz we've barely talked about this.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's going to be interesting. You know, I haven't seen a lot of footage but one one cool thing about this movie as opposed to Minerva is that I was actually able to go speak to the witnesses, speak to the people that are involved. I was able to check out the actual area, be it beyond April road at night and felt that spooky feeling. And uh, that should definitely help me with writing the music for this one. Um, I know one major, I think one major change for anybody that enjoyed the music last time, excuse me, um, is I bought a, well, I didn't buy it. I actually quote unquote rescued this old piano from um, an abandoned inn that's been abandoned for like 30 years and it was sitting in a corner um, with wood pieces of wood just draped over it totally dusty and moldy and i i, I rescued that thing and um it just looked like it was begging to be played um and uh, brought it to my house and got it tuned up and um so i've been playing non-stop piano for the last month or two so i think um that is all to say that i think the score will feature a lot more piano um than minerva which it should be interesting i think it's going to sound really cool
0: yeah i 'm excited i 've i 've got to hear a little bit of what he 's playing on that piano it's it 's going to be exciting it 's going to be a different I keep saying this behind the scenes but it 's just going to be very different from Minerva in a lot of ways and it 's not just you know different equipment and kind of stuff but it 's just the story is so different from minerva it that it begs to be told in a completely different way so but we 're still sticking to this you know no dramatizations no craziness it's it's we still want it to be this the witnesses and the people tied to the story telling the story so that is our goal with these movies anything else mark before we go yeah having been
1: you know spent a lot of time in minerva and spent you know the time you did in new york and you touched on this already in talking about a bear road but just being there, how would you compare sort of the feeling that you got just to being in those historic places? Like, what's your impression of Minerva contrasted with Whitehall? I'll let
0: Brandon like the... answer that first.
2: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I, I talked about this on the last episode or something, I think, but that I was on, but when you go up into the Catons property and you go deep in those hills, it really does feel like a mystical place. And I use the word mystical, but I don't really know how else to describe it. It feels—it's kind of like there's a tingle in the air. I don't know—I don't want to sound like corny or anything, but it, there's there's some kind of weird energy there for sure. And I don't know. Again, it, maybe it's just the history that happened there, or or the actual area how it looks, or what, or just being there with the family makes you feel that way, or however you want to describe it. There's definitely a weird energy there, but I wasn't creeped out at all. There wasn't a single time where, and maybe that was just because I was a lot with a lot more people. But I was in the middle of the woods, you know, pitch black, just as dark as Abra, Was not freaked out. The Abra Road incident, you know, when we went there at night, still the same kind of a kind of a weird mystical feeling, but um, so much more creepier and, and just a scary kind of environment. I was really uncomfortable, Seth. Can, I was a big wuss. I was like, Seth, let's uh, <laughs> let's, let's let's get out of here, you know. <laughs> he
0: asked my dad done. to leave the car unlocked. He's like, leave the doors unlocked. Yeah, I was like, dude, and, <laughs> wow. and I don't.
2: I don't I don't scare easy, you know, and it it was a real, but I mean, you get out there and you, like I said, you can't see anything. There's no, and um, we were hearing weird sounds, you know, Seth, you know, can attest to this, you know, we would hear like, I don't know, I don't want to call it like a wood knocking sound, but it was a weird. It was as soon as,
0: as soon as we got out of the car, I'm talking, we got out of the car on a bear and we heard what sounded like a wood knock
2: (laughs) and it was coming. Oh, I heard it from to the right way down the road. There's another house. And it sounded like it was coming from way down there. So I go, hey, Seth, did you hear that, that wood knocking sound or whatever? And he goes, yeah, it was up here over. And it was, he heard it to the left up by the woods or whatever. And it was just really weird that he had heard the same thing, but on a totally different side of the road or area of the road. And, you know, I'm not saying that that was Bigfoot or anything, obviously. But given the aggressive nature of the creature and, and like you said, you could see the, like, the Milky Way, the stars were so insane. It was, you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere. It was spooky, definitely. Yeah, I'm. Seth, Seth, what do you think?
0: Yeah, like I like like I said earlier, I'm just very attracted to Bear Road. I, I but the area around it, it's it's absolutely beautiful, Mark. Like you, you've got to get up there sometime. I highly recommend it now, like to anyone to go vacation in the Adirondacks that they can. It's there's an area there that I unfortunately didn't get to take Brandon to, but there's like a, a it's not a wildlife refuge. It's like a. It's almost like a a state park or something close by, but it's, it's crazy. Some of the footage that I got in there, it's, it's a very, it's very different from the kind of a bear road uh, topography or geography or terrain. It's just very swampy. And there's this river and there's these high, like rocky cliffs and it's just crazy. But that's something I pointed out to Brandon while we were driving in. I was like, have you, uh, there's swamps, everywhere around Whitehall, everywhere, just huge swamps. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with Bear Road specifically. I don't know why. It's just uh, that when I was there back in July for nights afterward, I would think about it. I'd lay in bed trying to fall asleep and I'd think about it. Not like I'm creeped out by it or anything like that. I was much more creeped out when I was there back in July. I kind of had the Brandon reaction to it when I was there in July because it was super quiet that night. And, you know, I'd never been there before. This time it was, I felt nothing. I wasn't scared at all. I, I mean, Brandon could even, I walked off into the field by myself at one point, uh, which is behind this row of trees. Of course, I will say once I was up there, I was trying to get audio up there. And while I'm standing up there, I'm like, you know, there's like this row of trees behind me. Anything could attack me up here. There's supposedly bear dens all around that area. Hmm. So so uh, that kind of creeped me out. Bears creep me just... out
2: how would you say it contrasts to like being back in the yeah. property? Yeah.
0: Sorry. I completely missed that part. Yeah. Um, okay. to, to the first time I went up into the Catons woods, I almost cried. Um, and that was just emotionally. I get really attached to these stories when I'm learning about them, you know, and I, i trying to figure out the best way to tell them and all that kind of stuff. And, um, i I didn't have that kind of reaction. This is the the reaction to Whitehall was something that grew on me, whereas Minerva was kind of instantaneous, but also I grew up fifteen minutes from Minerva. I drove that road, drove right by that woods all the time, so maybe that played a role um, i i I think there's there was a really interesting kind of contrast between the two where Minerva was an instantaneous reaction, very emotional. Um, and I still feel felt extremely grateful any time I got to go to the Caton's house, because no one else really gets to. Um, and with A Bear, it was like this thing where I was there shooting. I'm like, ah, whatever. It's a big road you know, with some fields and some woods. And then afterward, I was like, man, I really miss those fields and that woods. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: Absolute I'm blast
0: film, filming with... Brandon and my, I keep mentioning my dad. I have to mention my dad drove us down when we went back to get the uh, to do the reshoots. And we had we, we stayed in a cabin right up the road from Lake Champlain. Um, just gorgeous area all around there. I mean, there's a lot. We could probably do a second episode of like behind the scenes stuff. But we had a we had a lot of fun. For me, it was probably one of the funnest times I've had filming. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah. Beast of Way Hall, check out the trailer, it's online, and uh visit smalltownmonsters.com if you want to learn more or Facebook.com slash monsters. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breeds Love. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail@gmail.com at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes.